Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. We're very excited to have Allison Vorsatz with us today. I met Allison a few months ago at a talent conference in California and immediately was inspired by her. Uh, We're excited to share her unique journey and story of rising to a very lofty position at a successful Fortune 500 organization to picking up her life and moving to Africa, where she spent time in Tanzania, Zambia, and Cape Town. Upon returning to the States, she has since joined a startup that shares her passion for the empowerment of women. Along the way, she's had some really powerful experiences involving loss of loved ones, the realization of your purpose, and how to take control of your life. And maybe she'll even share how she got involved in the Australian rules football. Both Patrick and I are very excited about having her with us today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So, Allison, why don't you tell us a little bit about your your history? I know uh, Shelly talked a little bit in the intro, but what an amazing background. So if you don't mind kicking us off and adding a little color and texture to, to that obviously very interesting story, I think that'd be a great place to start. Absolutely. So when I started my career, I ended up in sales by accident. I was someone that went to college, had an idea of what I wanted to do, and then got into the real world and found out that was not going to actually work out for me. <laughs> so I took a sales job at a company in Santa Barbara, and it really started my career. The first couple years after college, I was working in sales at different organizations. And then I landed with a Fortune 500 company. When I started my journey there, I started in an entry-level account executive role, selling to small to medium business. I was promoted into Fortune 1000 sales. And then what started was what would become a very interesting and dynamic part of my career. I spent over 10 years at that company. And really the the jump for me was getting from a sales individual contributor role into leadership. So through that time, I ended up becoming a business sales manager. I managed three different sales teams in the S&B space. I went on to Global 500 Sales and relocated my life from San Francisco to New York And then became a managing partner where I was running a global sales division out of our New York Metro office. And during that time of 10 years, I had a lot of amazing experiences. I was challenged in ways that I never thought possible. I learned a tremendous amount. And I'd gotten to a point where I had actually reached all of the goals that I had set for myself. I had achieved the place in my career I wanted to be. I had focused on building my 401k and saving money. I bought my first home as a single woman in Manhattan. And I got to this point where I had done what I wanted to do and I felt stuck and I didn't know how to get unstuck. (laughs) And from an outside perspective, it seemed like I had everything I wanted. I had a a great career. I was successful. I had a great 401k. I had good healthcare. And I was in a position where something needed to change, which is a really uncomfortable position to be in to think, you know, could I just spend the rest of my life doing this? And the answer was absolutely yes. But was I happy? And the answer was no. I decided to take a leap of faith and to take a career break. And I left the security of my 10-year career, and I moved to Africa. And I ran and developed the first women's and girls' empowerment through East and Southern Africa. And during that time previously, I had had to wear a suit to work every day, uh, heels, uh, the full nine yards. And here I was working with women in local communities, 
barefoot under the mango tree and really trying to affect change in a meaningful and impactful way. And during my time in Africa, I found that there was so much change I was seeing at a grassroots level that it really infuriated me in so many ways that I was originally living in America where we have so many resources and so many different types of programs and so much awareness and so much education. And we didn't have equality within our own country and women were still not being paid fairly and they were still not being promoted equally. And women still were not being treated with respect in work environments, especially when it came to sexual harassment or opportunities across the board. So I became obsessed with this idea after moving to Africa of coming back to the United States and making an impact here at home. And when I came back from Africa, I connected with a startup. And then I connected with this startup, Fairy God Boss, which is a place where we're focused on making the workplace better for women. And we're obsessed with creating more equality and giving women access to the pieces of their career that they want and creating that transparency around what it's really like for women in the workplace and sharing best practices and allowing all of us to lift women up. So it's been an amazing journey with a lot of bumps and challenges and opportunities along the way that have really taken me to where I am today. And I think back in my time previously in Fortune 500, where often throughout my career, I was the only woman in the room. And I was advocating for women on a very grassroots level in the company. I would see another woman in my department or see a woman that was in a more junior position and I would offer to mentor her. I would offer to guide her and help her and sponsor her. And I've taken that experience and now I'm on the opposite side where I work with companies and help them really focus on having more inclusive cultures and making an environment that is going to allow for women to reach the success that they deserve. So how does, uh, if you could tell us a little bit more about how Fairy God Boss goes about uh, accomplishing that mission. Absolutely. So the reason Fairy God Boss was founded four years ago, and we have two female founders, was that one of our founders, Georgine Huang, she was in her career and she was at Dow Jones in New York City, very successful in an executive role. And they went through a major management shakeup and her position was terminated and she was fired. And during that time, nobody knew this in her office yet because she hadn't shared this, but she was two months pregnant and she had to go back into the job seeking journey as a pregnant female executive who had a lot of questions about what her next career move was going to look like. And like most people, she wanted to know if she would be paid and treated fairly. She wanted to know if she could continue to build her leadership career. She wanted to know if she could have work-life balance. So she went online. She went to Glassdoor. She went to Indeed. She went to LinkedIn. She even went to individual companies' career pages that she was looking to possibly work for. And she could not find a single thing about what it was like to be a woman at a company. And she said, this is crazy. I'm going to change this. So she teamed up with Romy Newman. And together when they started Fairy God Boss, it was really an anonymous review site that was for women, by women, that was creating transparency through women sharing their experiences in the workforce. But what it's evolved into today is we are a place that women can come to get career advice. They can read content. They can join communities and connect with other women like them and get support and build that network. We're also a place that women come to look for jobs and to really learn about which companies care about gender diversity and what it would be like to work at that company and in that culture. And then we partner with companies at a top line level and we help them promote their brand and really focus on hiring more female talent, retaining female talent, 
and moving the dial in their gender diversity efforts and overall really making a more inclusive workforce for women, which ultimately makes a more inclusive workforce for everybody. That's incredible, Allison. And you gave us a really powerful overview of you know your career history, but I know there's so much more to it. And, and so much of it is blood, sweat, and tears and tenacity and grit. And you've got such uh, an amazing story. I'd love to kind of go back and talk about that transition from, you know, California to New York and, you know, what that was like for you and some of the things that you had to give up, some of the things that you had to identify within yourself and, and what that felt like for you. So the reason that I started the journey to New York was never intentional. I had applied for my first management position in California as a young woman with no management experience. And in most cases, what would happen is you would go through an interview process and someone would make a decision about you either way. I was in an environment, though, where there were mostly men, um, almost all male managers, and everyone was significantly older than me. So what they did instead was they gave me a stretch assignment. There was a manager that was going to be getting married abroad and taking his honeymoon. And he was going to be out of the office for about three and a half weeks. And so they asked me to step in and manage that team. Also in that process, his manager, the associate director, was very close with him. And he would also be going to this wedding abroad (laughs) and be gone for three and a half weeks. So they had a, a current manager that was going to step into an acting associate director role. They had me that was going to step into an acting manager role. Three weeks, step onto a team that I did not know, that had some performance issues, that had cultural issues, what could possibly go wrong? So (laughs) everything went wrong to start. Um, And I, you know, I didn't have any coaching before I stepped in and I didn't have a lot of support when I was in the role. So that dynamic is really tough when you have someone step in and there wasn't really a precedent set that I was the boss. It was more like, hey, this person's going to be watching the team for three weeks. So I got into the situation The team already had performance issues, which was a challenge. And then I had a lot of cultural issues with dealing with people on the team. And the experience was not a positive one, not for me or for the team itself. And when I when I had my opportunity to, you know, debrief about it afterwards, the feedback I was given was, hey, you know what? We gave you a shot. It didn't work out. It doesn't seem like you're cut out for management. Even though I didn't have any management experience before I went into this shot. And there was no training given, and I had no guidance throughout the journey. And you know, looking back now, when I look at that moment, there were definitely things that I did not do well, and you know, things that I didn't even know that I didn't do well because I was so new to management and I was young in my career. And there were also a lot of things that were sort of set up that did not set me up for success in the first place. So after that experience, I was not going to get a management job in San Francisco. It wasn't going to happen. And that's when I realized the first of key, really three really key things that affect your ability to promote and have your career trajectory go the way you want it to. Um, And the third one of those is performance, which I had, which is why I was asked to step into the management role in the first place. I'd had a successful sales career before that. But the second piece was brand. And the first piece and most important was relationships. And when I stepped into this acting role, I didn't have relationships with upper leadership that would be making decisions about my potential future. And I didn't necessarily have a brand either way. I was known as a good individual contributor, but I didn't have a brand as a manager. And then once I did this stretch assignment, my brand as a manager was tainted. And it was something that I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to come back from. So I decided that if I really wanted to be in a management role, 
I would have to change my environment. Some of my mentors suggested I leave the company, but I really loved what I was doing. I believed in the company. And I believed that someone else would be able to see the potential in me and that I would have an opportunity somewhere else in the company. So I made a list of three possible cities I was willing to move to, which at the time was New York, Boston, and Washington, D.C. And I started applying for jobs in those cities. And throughout this process in California and both in the New York process and the Boston process, I ended up in the final two candidates every single time. But every single time, I lost the job to an older male candidate. And when you peel back the onion a little bit, what I realized was I didn't have the relationships with these people that were on the other side of the country. I didn't have a brand because nobody knew me over there. All that they knew about me was what was on my resume and my performance, which was great. But they had people that were in their own local cities that had the performance, had the brand, and had the relationships. So what I heard every single step through my interview process was, we love you, Allison. We think you're great, but we already have someone in mind. And that's when I really started to think about how I was going to get promoted in this massive organization where it always seemed like there was a bench of people that was being groomed for the position, and I was never on the bench. And I think one of the challenges, especially as a, as a woman, is women, we don't know always how to get on the bench. We don't understand how to sometimes network and put ourselves in front of a leader, especially male leadership, and say, I want you to mentor me. I want to be your next sales leader, or I want to be your next manager. We don't always advocate for ourselves like that. We often think that our performance will allow us opportunities and that people will notice we're doing a good job and promote us. But I quickly found out that's not how that works. And throughout this process, I started building relationships with these leaders that were on the East Coast. Well, I applied for the job seven different rounds. I went to the final round every time. I did not get the job. And then I decided to take a step back and I realized at that moment I had spoken to some mentors of mine in the company and they said, Allison, you really need to stop applying. It's starting to look a little bit crazy over here. I think that you need to just focus on doing what you're doing and reevaluate in a year. So I went back to 100% focus on my current role doing Fortune 1000 sales. And then something really interesting happened. So I was in Northern California and one of these amazing associate directors I had interviewed with, his name was Joe. He was one of the people that had loved me in New York and New Jersey, but said he didn't have spot for me. He reported to another amazing leader named Kevin, who was a director at the time. And Kevin had loved me and said he didn't have a spot for me. Well, Kevin was promoted to regional president and he relocated to San Francisco. And he promoted Joe as a director and he brought him over. And the first thing they did is they reorganized and restructured. They let go of some of the current management that wasn't performing. And they approached me about taking a job as a manager. And here I had fought so hard (laughs) to try to get in front of all of these people. And then by some act of fate or luck, these people that could make a decision about me ended up literally in my backyard. Now, what happened next, though, is when they approached other people about me in the region, they told the story of the fact that I was a young manager and stepped into a team, and it didn't go well. (laughs) So here I had spent all this time building this relationship, but this brand that I had was still preceding me. So the amazing thing about these two leaders, Kevin and Joe, is that they asked that question. They said, well, what coaching did you give her afterwards? How did you set her up for success? Did you have her take any classes on management? And had a completely different perspective on it. 
And they gave me another stretch assignment. (laughs) So here we go, round two, where I stepped in to manage a team where the manager had moved to a different role. And this time, everything went different. Joe was in touch with me on a daily basis. He called me every day at the end of my day and throughout the day to check on me and ask how things were going and to give advice where I needed it. In the two months that I stepped into this acting role on this team, the team made quota for the first time ever. My employees were happy. They loved working for me. They asked Joe if I could stay. And I had a completely different experience than I did the first time around because I had a team of leadership that was really engaged. And then I applied for the promotion and I got it. That team that I took on was one of the lowest performing teams in the region. And within a year, they were number one in their space. Then throughout that time, Joe and Kevin gave me opportunities to manage two other teams in which were both struggling with their own performance reasons. And the last team I picked up that was one of the average teams in the region went on to be one of the top performing teams in the country. At that point, Joe and Kevin came to me and they wanted me to apply for an associate director role. But during that year, I had lost my mom. And previous to losing my mom, I had already lost my dad. I bought, I lost both of my parents in my 20s. And something had changed for me. You know, my mom was in hospice before she passed away. And throughout the process of interviewing in New York, I had fallen in love in New York. Um, and I really wanted to be a part of New York City. And, you know, towards the time of my mom being in hospice, she said to me one day before she passed away, it was only a few days before, she said, you know, you really should go to New York. And I thought, really, mom, like right now, (laughs) like this is when you want to have this conversation. And she said, you should go. She said, I know you're not happy in San Francisco anymore. And I know you stayed because I was sick. She's like, but you should go. She's like, life is short. And if you don't go now, you're not going to go. She's like, if you're ever going to go, it needs to be right now. And that really stuck with me. And so after my mom passed away and my sister and I had packed up her home and handled the estate and dealt with all the things that we need to deal with. That's when this promotion came up in California and both Kevin and Joe were advocating for me to take it and really wanted me to take it. And I said, no, I said, something's changed. I want to go to New York. And I asked them for their endorsement. And they said, you went from being a bright star in a little sky and you're going to go be a little star in a big sky full of bright stars. You're going to have to completely reinvent yourself. And that's what I did. I got to New York. I focused on my performance. I started building relationships again. And what I discovered is after that first challenge of getting to management when I didn't have the relationships, every relationship I had after that was what lined me up for my next job. And people were contacting me. And after having a successful run in New York as an individual contributor consulting for two global 500 companies, I was asked to step into a managing partner role. And I was running a global sales division for this company. And I, to date, am one of the youngest people that's ever stepped into that role and one of the only women. And so getting to New York and being a part of that journey, it really showed me how important it is to have those relationships, to build your brand and realize that your brand is something that's constantly having to be reinvented depending on what you're looking to do and also where you're looking to do it. And then continuing to bring that performance to the point where I had then achieved all the things that I had set out to achieve when I stepped into that company and it was time for a new step, which led me to Africa. You know, that was a very long answer for how I got to New York, um, but it changed everything about my life. (laughs) 
It's incredible. So, Allison, you mentioned, uh, you know, building your brand. And, and I, I guess maybe if you could go into deeper, like, what does that mean for our listeners? How would you recommend going about building your brand? What are the steps? What are the actions? That kind of thing. So the first thing I would say is there tends to be sometimes a disconnect between who you believe you are and how you actually present to the world. And that is something I struggled with early in my career. And it's something I still struggle with now. You know who you are, you know what you bring to the table, but how other, other other people are perceiving that and how they're engaging with that information is very different. And if you ever have a situation where you don't feel like people are seeing you for who you are, it's usually one of two things that are happening. Either you're not presenting the version of yourself to the world that you want people to see, or there are other things going on with those people in terms of egos or insecurity or misunderstanding where they don't see you for how you're presenting yourself. They're assuming you're something different or they're making up reasons why you are a certain way or what, why you act a certain way. But either way, the problem is the brand that you have is the one that determines your career. It's the conversations that are had about you when you're not in the room about what people say about you that determine what types of opportunities you're going to be given. And so whether or not it's intentional or not and whether or not it's you or them – Ultimately, if your brand doesn't match what you want it to match, you're going to run into some roadblocks and you're going to have a lot of challenges. And so one of the first things that I did when I hit the point when I realized that who I was presenting to the world was not how people saw me is I did a 360-degree feedback type of survey. I talked to my boss. I talked to my boss's boss. I talked to my teammates and colleagues. I talked to direct reports I had. And I talked to people in other departments that I worked with on a regular basis. And I asked them questions about what is it like to work with me? And I, I couched it under the guise of, I want you to be really honest. This is a personal development exercise for me. Um, I want to understand what it is you think about working with me. If you were to describe me to someone to hadn't, who had never met me, what is it you would say about me as a person and a professional? And what are the things that you think I bring to the table that are really fantastic? And what are the things that I'm missing or I need to work on? And you really have to set parameters of trust with this. Like you have to allow people to be honest and to give their whole feedback to you. And you also have to really take your defenses down and say, I'm just going to absorb what they're saying to me and really let them finish all of this kind of a concept. And it's easier to do it in the written form because it's a little bit less confrontational for people. And then I set up meetings with everyone to talk about what they said. And not surprisingly... Most of the things that people said that were positive about me, I already knew. It was the parts that I needed to work on that I wasn't as aware of. And so taking that feedback and understanding that other people seeing you in certain ways, whether or not it's what you're actually aiming to be, that does affect everything about how people engage with you. Yeah, I think you touch on a, a great issue around finding your blind spots, right? Things that you think are your strengths, but they're not. I think there's also that challenge of like making sure you're talking to somebody you trust. I think you touch on, on a great point, but I, I also want to like cover the idea that, you know, I think when people hear that, like, especially, you know, non-sales and marketing people, brand is, seems to be a false thing. In your experience was building your brand about creating a false narrative or actually finding a true narrative about who you are? I think it's both. It's creating the narrative about who you are that's authentic, but also the aspirational piece of who you want to be. 
And I think it's okay to say I'm a work in progress, but I want to be known as whatever it is. And when I made that transition from individual contributor to, to management, I wanted to be a dynamic leader that people looked up to, that my employees loved working for, that literally my employees saw more success in their career working for me than they had ever before. I wanted to coach and develop them. There were all these things that I wanted to do, that I wanted to be part of my brand, but I wasn't there yet without the management experience and without the leadership opportunities. So when I got into a leadership role, I then took the things that I wanted to be and I created daily tasks and ways for me to develop those pieces of who I wanted to be. And eventually I became that type of leader. But it really comes down to, I think, understanding it needs to be authentic because it needs to be real. It needs to be very real for you to be able to live it every day. But it also needs to have an aspirational quality that that who you are today should not be who you want to be tomorrow. And you should be continuing to evolve as a work in progress as you step into new roles, as your life changes, as new things become important to you, as you work with different people that can offer you opportunities to learn and grow that are completely different from the previous leadership you worked for. And, you know, speaking of life changes, Allison, you know, I was also, uh, quote unquote, an orphan in my early 20s. That is not an easy thing to deal with. But you also went through something even more traumatic, which I think is is why you ultimately left uh, Fortune 500. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, so around the time that I had decided um, to move to Africa and take on this journey, you know, I made a big step. I, I left my my 10-year career at one company. I left the security and stability of everything I had. I rented out my home to a stranger. Um, I was in a relationship that I'm still in, and he did not want to come to Africa. So I left him in New York on this journey. And the process of moving to Africa was already very overwhelming, and I was changing my life. And I remember talking to my little sister, who was my best friend, probably three days before, and we were talking about mom and dad and just this idea that if they were alive to see everything I had accomplished and then hear that I was moving to Africa, they probably would have thought I was a little bit off my rocker, but they would have been so proud. And she said, you know, how proud they would have been to see me make this life change and to really step away from focusing on myself and my own personal success and really sharing the resources I had and contributing my time and energy to helping other people find their success. So we had that conversation on a Thursday. Um, I was leaving for Africa on Sunday morning. And early Sunday morning, I got a call that my little sister had passed away unexpectedly at 33. And there, there were no words to explain what had happened after that moment. I changed my flight from Africa to San Francisco. I planned her funeral. Her husband of six months, I had been her maid of honor, um, was barely functioning. So I stepped in, I planned everything. And it was this incredibly cruel moment from the universe where you think that just as you're like really finding your purpose and, you know, getting to a good place, like everything just gets shaken up. So I spent the time, you know, planning her goodbye and then helping her husband clean out their house. And then 30 days later, I got on that plane to Africa and I had to make a choice during that time. And, you know, it's one of those things and Shelly, I'm so sorry to hear that you were also losing both your parents at a young age, because it's something that when it, when you lose your parents, um, it's traumatic, it's difficult. 
But when you lose your little sister after you've already lost your parents, for me, it was this compilation effect. When I had lost my dad first, that was horrible. And then I lost my mom and it, it was like losing my dad all over again because I lost both my parents. Then when I lost my sister, it was losing my parents all over again. It was losing my childhood. It was losing my memories. It was losing my family unit. And this person that I had linked arms with and said, we can do this together. We lost dad, we lost mom, but we can do this together. You know, that person was just gone, just gone in a moment. And I was feeling like I was there standing alone thinking, how did this happen? And how did I get here? And through that time, I had to make the decision and I decided to still go to Africa because I knew that my sister would have wanted me to go. And I think that she was with me on that journey. So I got onto the plane and I moved to the other side of the world. My entire support system, my family, my friends, my partner, they were all in the United States and I was alone and I was grieving. And I started this journey of trying to help others and heal myself through my grief. And people that were strangers, whether they were locals in the community or other volunteers, I had to make them my support system. I had to build friendships with them. I had to create those relationships again because in my day-to-day, I didn't have anyone supporting me. And through the first part of my journey in Tanzania, I didn't even have Wi-Fi. So I was really alone in terms of being able to communicate back home. And I started this journey. And One of the things that I found to be so compelling during my time in Africa is the connection of the human experience. And when I first stepped into my local communities, they are probably looking at this woman who is American, who is Caucasian, who has the money and the resources to be able to quit her job and leave her career and move to volunteer which really sounds on paper like all of the privilege that you could ever ask for in the world. And when I started to work with people um, in Africa, in particular in Tanzania, I worked with a lot of the Maasai tribe and everything is about the family. And so the first thing they ask you about is your family. What is your mother's name? What is your father's name? How many siblings do you have? What are they like? What ages are they? And I found myself telling my story over and over again. And when you're in a place like that in the world that doesn't have the access to healthcare that we have here, everyone has experienced a large amount of death. But when I stepped into that world, that immediately was a connection point for me with them is that, yes, I look like someone different from the outside, but inside I've felt a lot of the pain that you have felt. And during that time, especially the women and the girls that I worked with, they became like sisters and moms to me. And they took care of me. And whether or not they even knew it, being able to share their own stories of grief and their own stories of struggle in their lives, it was a way for me to heal. It was a way for me to understand that the power of the human connection runs so much deeper than you know what we, what we think it can be through strangers when you share those experiences. And it also really kept me in perspective because here I was feeling sorry for myself that I had lost my parents and my little sister. But there were other people that had lost their parents and their siblings that also didn't have clean drinking water and didn't have shoes and were living with HIV and didn't have access to healthcare or education. And they'd been assaulted 
And there were a million things that they were dealing with that I wasn't dealing with. And it made my problems seem somewhat small in the grand scheme of things. And so having that perspective and working with these women in local communities really kept me grounded. Um, It kept me focused on the fact that life is hard for everyone. And sometimes when you live in the United States and if you're privileged enough to live in a home and not on the street and to have education and healthcare and all of these things and to be able to feed yourself, if you have all of that privilege, you don't realize sometimes what everyone else in the world is dealing with every single day. But you get there in that community and you're living there and you're realizing all these other people are living with so much more than I've ever had to live with. I'm actually blessed still in this situation. And so that was really important for me to internalize and to understand. And then I also found that just the process of helping others and sharing my story was allowing me to start the healing process of losing my sister too. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And do you think that experience in Africa helped you to find your role at Fairy God Boss? Do you think you would be successful in this role without that experience? It absolutely set me on the path that I'm on now. But once my sister passed away. And then a month into my trip, my grandmother passed away, who was my last grandparent and the only grandparent that I didn't lose when I was a little girl. I went through this process of it wasn't a career break. It was actually a personal transformation. And in dealing with grief and in understanding my purpose, I had to look at life from a very different perspective. Now, it's one thing to lose your grandmother in her 90s and to know she lived a good life. And it was very sad, but it was it was something i could accept based on where she was in her in her journey but for my sister to die at 33 it really made me think about what's important in this life and it demanded that i have a sense of purpose that going to work and making a healthy paycheck and being able to go on vacation and go out to dinner and do those things that i wanted to do was not enough and I had, I had to have a purpose in this life because it seemed for me, maybe the timing of this when she passed away, the day I was supposed to leave for Africa, the fact that she passed away that day, it seemed that there, there was a lesson here that I was supposed to unpack and figure out. And because she was so young when she passed away and she had her whole life ahead of her, it made me really think about like, what am I actually doing here? But based on the losses I'd had in my life, I felt like I was supposed to be doing more. And so during my time, a lot of my friends would call and they'd email and they'd message and they'd say, Hey, have you figured out what you're going to do when you come back to America yet? And I was like, no, stop asking me. I have no idea. I'm just trying to be present in the moment and take all this in. But I went through the process of trying to figure out what my greater purpose was. And when I was in Africa, I found that I had finally found a quiet place, which is not something that I had in San Francisco or Manhattan. And in that quiet place, I had to do a lot of soul searching. I did a lot of writing and a lot of journaling And I did a lot of time thinking on my own about what I thought this purpose in my life was supposed to be and that somehow my sister was guiding me to find it. And I ended up coming to this towards the end of my journey, but I had spent so much time in these villages and local communities where the biggest thing that I was trying to instill was for women to find their voice. And I think just across cultures and across this world, we don't do a good job of empowering women to use their voice. And depending on where you live and who you are, often you may not even have a voice. 
And that was really what I wanted to get out of it. And sure, there was a lot of curriculum I was teaching around goal setting and financial savings and how to interview for jobs and how to focus on your health and all this amazing information that women needed. What I really wanted them to do was find their voice. And I realized that in my journey of advocating for these women and empowering them to find their voice, that I had become a voice for women that could not be a voice for themselves. And I took that with me as what my purpose in this life was. And when I came back to the States and I started getting involved with startups, which by the way, I never would have done before, the whole idea of startups was so scary. But then when I came home from Africa, I really wanted to be a part of a company that was mission-driven and that was looking to make the world a better place as opposed to just make money and offer a product. This was something that I, I wanted to do for women. I wanted for women to help find their voice in their careers specifically because I personally believe that when we get to a point in this world where we treat women equally in their careers, we will treat them equally in life. And so when we can get to that point where we say, we pay you equally because we value you and respect you equally. We promote you equally because we know that you have the skills and talents and experience to be an incredible contributor to this company. We hire you equally because we believe you will do this job as well as anyone else. When we get to that point, I believe that it's going to change how we deal with women in all of the personal aspects of life. And then when I came back and I connected with Fairy God Boss, it seemed like this was what I was supposed to be doing because I went from advocating in small ways at my company and advocating at grassroots level to now working with the system that's broken and working with large organizations and small organizations that want to change the culture. They want to change the system. They want to change the way things have been done in the past as opposed to working in a one-off situation where I was helping one woman advocate for herself and her career. Now we're helping entire companies create more inclusive environments that are promoting more women, paying women equally, giving women access to things that they need, like parental leave and flexible work options and all of the things that allow women to bring their whole selves to work and to continue to thrive in their careers and their lives. And so here I am doing something completely different. And I 100% believe that it was because of this journey. I was able to find the quiet place to hear what my purpose would be and then to come back to the States and put that purpose into action. And now I'm watching it grow tremendously. I was employee number 10 at this company. I was on the ground floor, basically. And now we are a full-fledged company with VC funding. And it's amazing to see how much this company has taken off and to know that my passion for this and my dedication to creating a more equal workforce for women has been a part of fueling this fire. Well, I know that Patrick is not going to want to get off this podcast until he asks you about uh, Australian rules football. Okay. <laughs> so one of the things that I had to grapple with was this idea that I didn't have a community there. And also, I've been an athlete my entire life, and sports is something that is very, very important to me. And I, I play several days a week still. And so... I ended up connecting, you know, not surprising, with two incredible women that had founded the first female Australian rules football team in New York. And I had known them from my travels to New York before. And so as soon as I got there, they said, you're going to play, right? 
And I said, ah, I feel like this sport is somewhere that I'm going to get really hurt. And they're like, no, you'll be fine. Well, two shoulder surgeries later and a torn calf. I oh did get God. hurt a few times. <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a pretty full tackle physical contact sport. But, you know, that's what happens when you are running against people full speed and trying to tackle them or take the ball from them. So ultimately, I joined Australian rules football. I played for the New York Magpies, the women's team. And it was one of the more interesting things I've ever done in my life. You know, growing up as an athlete, I played softball, volleyball, and basketball. In all of those sports, it's generally frowned upon to tackle people or, or to get too physical in the contact. And, you know, one of the things I thought was really interesting as a woman is, you know, trying to figure out your own physical strength and your own physical capability. And it's very different on a basketball court or on a softball field or a volleyball court than it is on a footy field. I mean, you are literally using full contact to get things done in this game and you need to be faster and stronger and more fearless than most of the sports that are out there. Most of the women on the team and a lot of the men on the men's team became my closest friends in New York and were like family to me. We traveled as a team and I really learned a lot about myself and what I was capable of as an athlete but also as a person. And I think that I would recommend for every single woman to go out for a sport like Australian rules football or rugby and just for just, you know, one season, tackle people and feel the thrill as a woman of being like, you know what? I am powerful. I am strong. And I'm going to tackle this person. Like it was, <laughs> I mean, it was just an, inc- <laughs> it's an incredible, empowering thing for women to know their own strength. And one of the things I actually did in Africa was I coached the first ever girls high school rugby team. And to see these girls really own their power and own the, the strength of their bodies was really incredible. And so I joined the team in New York. I played for them for a few years. Um, And then in 2014, I made the USA team. And so I went to Australia, to Melbourne, and I played in the international tournament when I got to wear the USA jersey and represent my country. And it was absolutely incredible. Um, To this day, it's still a lot of my favorite memories in New York and my time there and the community that I was building are associated with Australian rules football. And also just the fact that I was able to learn this foreign sport, a sport that we don't have in the United States very, you know, one that I had when I was growing up, but is now actually very popular. It's in 40 cities where there's adult amateur leagues and be able to be a part of that was really incredible. And then to go to the, to the tournament and represent the USA. I mean, I got to wear the tracksuit. We did the parade of nations. We carried our flag. There were so many countries there from different cultures that had come together to play this sport. So it was a really incredible, incredible piece of my life. I'm now retired thanks to the two shoulder surgeries and the torn calf. I have had to hang (laughs) up my boots, but it's still something that a lot of my friends play. And uh, it's a really amazing way to test the limits of, of your physicality and your fitness and really just find a community. I think that was something that I had missed the most about being an athlete is traveling with a team and having that camaraderie. And I had all of that when I got to play Aussie Rolls. Sounds a little bit like uh, uh, Aussie Rules has uh, has a, a bit of a fight club mentality of first rule of Aussie Rules is you don't talk about Aussie Rules. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could say that. Um, I think a lot of us talk about it though, and it's 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 a pretty uh, it's a pretty tough sport. Uh, I will say something just that was personally really interesting for me is 
the type of woman that signs up to play Aussie rules. <laughs> she is bold and she's fearless and she's not afraid to get dirty. And so it's not a surprise also that most of my closest friends I met playing that sport because these women were outgoing and they were, you know, no nonsense going to run down the field and tackle someone. I love it. Well, I think this has been great. I really want to just uh, thank you for taking the time to, to talk with us today. I loved it. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for choosing me to share my story. And, you know, it's been it's been a long journey. It's a still a work in progress. I think that I believe that when I look back on this, you know, five years from now or 10 years from now, I'm going to have seen a lot of pivotal points in my journey, but the journey is not anywhere done. I'm still moving forward and I'm trying to live the legacy of my family that's left early and really, you know, take the lessons I learned and take the lessons I've learned from my experiences and continue to evolve and grow as a person. And I think that's the best thing that we can do as people in this life. We're going to get dealt a hand, whatever that hand may be. There's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of opportunities. But as long as we're continuing to focus on growing and evolving and finding our purpose and becoming the best version of ourselves, that's all we can do. And if we're doing that, we're doing the right thing. Totally agree. And we have all the confidence in the world in what you're doing. Uh, please make sure to, to stay in touch and check in. We'd love to hear how the story continues. Uh, but we also want to thank our listeners. Uh, we really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us today. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.